Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to Golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to Golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's Golo.com. My sleep is way better. My inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery and I saw the Golo commercial and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at Golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com. We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Hi everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Red and Buried podcast. I'm Frankie. I'm Sarah. And today we're very excited to be joined by the wonderful Kaylin Steed. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming. What a treat. We were um, just, uh, this is a little bit behind the curtain, but we were just moaning before you joined actually, Kaylin, that we've both had to put our heating on for the first time today. So we are now into cosy season. (laughs) We have a a fire downstairs and I've been like using it for the last two weeks, I have to admit. Oh, amazing. Although you're considerably further north than us, I think. That's my excuse, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Is it, I, I can't even imagine, is it, how cold is it today? This is very exciting content for people listening, but <laughs> for us. It's actually, it's actually not too bad. It's uh, warmer than it usually is. Um, I'm looking out my window at the moment. There's a gorgeous sunset. It was quite sunny today. Aww. You're probably a lot tougher than us pathetic southerners who <laughs> are like, oh, it's a little nippy out. No, I'm the kind of person that sits with like a blanket and a hot water bottle um, and a dog on top of me on the couch to be warm. <laughs> oh, the dream. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. Okay, so I am going to kick off by reading a bio on you that Frankie has put together. So if anything's wrong, yes. direct your complaints That's there. your catchphrase <laughs> at this point, Sarah, I think. It is absolutely <laughs> everything about the podcast. Frankie's done it, so... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So, Kaylin Steed is a writer, teacher and dog owner. Kaylin's work has been published by New Writing Scotland, Food... Oh my God, Frankie! What? I didn't. I didn't make up their professional history, did I? Sorry. Is it Boudica? Uh, yeah, I think so. Boudica. I don't actually know what the correct pronunciation. is. Boudicca. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I think oh, it no, is Boudica. Though I think you're right. There. All right. Considering how much I butchered the French language a couple of weeks ago, I think we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Kaylin's work has been published by New Writing Scotland, Boudica Press, and Baron Magazine. Their debut novel, Home, was published in July 2023 and has been described as an unforgettable story about identity, family, and the terrifying dynamics of a cult. Someone has broken into Zoe's flat, a man she thought she'd never have to see again. They call him the Hand of God. He knows about her job in the cafe, her life in Dublin, her ex-girlfriend, even the knife she's hidden under the mattress. She thought she'd left him far behind along with the cult of the children and their isolated compound home. But now he's found her and Zoe realises she must go back with him if she's to rescue the sister who helped her escape originally. 
But returning to home means going back to the enforced worship and strict gender roles Zoe has long since moved beyond. Back to the abuse and indoctrination she's fought desperately to overcome. Going back will make her question everything she believed about her past and risk her hard-won freedom. Can she break free a second time? Outside of writing, Kaylin lives near Glasgow with their husband and son. They've also resided in Aberdeen and Dublin and hope one day to live somewhere with less rain. (laughs) They're also very kind, very lovely and incredibly supportive of other authors in the crime writing community. Was it correct? That's very kind. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's very it's true. Right, well done, I was, Frankie. Thank you. I was looking through all of your. I, I like to lightly stalk everyone before they come on, just so <laughs> I can get a sense if I've not met them before. And you are so you're sharing constantly what other writers are doing, what they're publishing, what they're working on, and it's just so lovely to see that you know it's it's a tough old world out there, and it's just so wonderful that everyone can support each other in that way, particularly in the rhyme, cri- the rhyme writing. Oh my God, <laughs> the crime writing community. So yeah, I know, I'm, I'm very lucky to have been supported in a lot of ways by the writers. So I only try and pay it, pay it back and pay it forward. Yeah. Well, you do it very well. And home. Wow. What, what a hell of a debut. That was a, quite a ride you took us on with home. First and foremost, I mean, this seems such a basic question to ask, and I apologise, but where'd you get your idea from? <laughs> um, I'm subscribed to an idea delivery service. They come. Oh, perfect. Um, <laughs> it's supposed to be a secret, but I'm blowing it wide open for you guys. This is how all writers do it. <laughs> that makes sense. I knew that was you were holding out on us. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been writing home in sort of various forms since I was about like 13. Um, wow. And I kind of was plaguing my career English teacher at the time and like sort of you know shoving these badly written chapters of this like mental novel um which at that time was about it wasn't set in a cult it was set in a government facility for training child assassins and when Whoa. I was 13 I was like that's super plausible so I sort of had that for a bit <laughs> and then I kind of fell out of writing when I got a bit older and you know kind of got caught up in like jobs and uni and all that kind of stuff came back to it in my 20s and I was looking at this old draft I had and by that point, I was kind of like, ah, there's no way the government would ever, you know, be competent enough to manage <laughs> secret child assassins. So I was like, what else could I, I kind of like the idea of the story and some of the characters. So at the time I was uh, working as a substitute teacher in Dublin and one of the schools that I'd been in was like, and I don't know about you, but the school that I went to and all the ones I'd been in ha- are always like the walls are like covered in like kids drawings and posters and quite colourful. Mm. This school is uh, a very austere kind of aesthetic. It had completely blank walls inside the classroom, except for one enormous crucifix on the wall. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was really quite intense. And I'd never, <laughs> never been in a school with that kind of, you know, kind of... Um, design aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, design aesthetic. <laughs> Those choices and... I I was just like, oh, well, maybe this kind of insular um, cut off community that this character grows up in could be a, a, a kind of religious extremist cult rather than than a, a kind of a government facility. So it, it kept some of those like kind of claustrophobic a- aspects of the atmosphere. Um, and nothing in the published book is what I wrote when I was 13, just to reassure everyone. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> but, thank, thanks to past Kaylin for that inspiration, at least. <laughs> <laughs> that's something that worked out <laughs> oh, yeah. once you decided on the cult angle how was the research on that and does I felt like it was you were drawing inspiration from a few kind of well-known cults yeah the, yeah I wanted story. to kind of spread the influences widely 
And I always feel a little bit of a fraud when I talk about research because like most of the time when I was writing this, I had no no kind of feeling that like literally anyone except maybe like my mom would read it ever. <laughs> so I didn't like approach it in a very like systematic way. I was just kind of interested in cults. Whenever I told someone I was writing about cults, their response would always be like, oh, I love cults. Yeah. yeah. Then they tell me That's their response to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's always got like a documentary or a book or like a podcast recommendation about cults. So I kind of just did it piecemeal over a long time. And then when I did realize I was actually going to get published, I was like, oh, I should probably be more professional about this. So I went <laughs> to Mitchell Library in Glasgow, which is an amazing resource, and said to the librarians, um, what do you have in cults? And they kind of just went away for a minute and came back with this like, you know, enormous pile of books. And I was like, brilliant. Okay and read my way through those but yeah it's, it's kind of picking up on a, a number of of different cults I didn't want to draw from like one specifically yeah don't want to have one after you <laughs> yeah. yeah no <laughs> no fair so much that's probably the beauty of writing about cults is that they're such a closed thing that actually you can have a bit of artistic freedom I'd guess this is it but like also there was a bunch of stuff that I read about some cults that I was like, I can't put this in a book. Like no one would believe it. Like it's so, yeah. so out there. And you were like, there's, you know, there's some stuff that really strains credulity and you're like, this is, you know, documented things in a, in a nonfiction book that's been, you know, very heavily researched. And I was like, I don't think I could get away with this in fiction. Which is terrifying really, isn't it? Yeah. When you yeah. think that thought through. Very well. <laughs> I guess the thing is, well, you don't often learn about cults until they've all killed themselves or um, something like it's ended, really. You don't really get all the de- the details until after they've gone, mostly. Yeah, yeah. Which means that a lot mm. of the testimony you get is quite usefully, from my case, with having one of the main narrative streams be a character looking back on her time in it. A lot of the testimony you get is people who are kind of processing what's happened to them quite some time afterwards. Um, so that I was really interested in the idea of like, not just like being in a cult and breaking out, but like, how do you like live? How do you get, especially if you've been completely cut off from, from society, like how do you get into society after that? Like what things would puzzle you? What would be difficult? What would, what are the unexpected things that would be hard that you wouldn't sort of guess? Yeah. It must've been an absolutely fascinating research process. I, was. I don't know how I'd ever write something. I'd be sucked down the <laughs> rabbit hole of reading more and more. But it sounds like you'd already done a lot of the writing. Maybe it would just go back and refining it once you'd done your research. Yeah, my slapdash and unprofessional approach really helped with that. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus. So we ask every author that comes on the podcast this, and we get a real variety of answers, actually. What do you enjoy most and what do you enjoy least about the writing process? Oh, I think my answer would probably change depending on what stage I'm in. Yeah. Just finished, quite recently in the last few months, I finished drafting my second novel and then was going Ooh. into editing it. And I did very much difficult second novel syndrome. Like it was painful drafting it at points. Like, And also kind of started writing it in like March 2020, which wasn't like a really conducive time. To like, well, what was happening? Not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> Something happened. Uh. So I think it was, it always been a bit of a slog. So I think, you know, my answer most recently probably would have been like, oh, I, I hate the drafting process. I love editing. But I've actually just started, like just literally last week, started drafting my third novel and I'm really wow. enjoying it. Um, so I think it, it probably depends how things are going. Yeah, I think that's fair. And also, how the hell do you fit in writing around teaching <laughs> and also being a parent? I do a really bad job of all three. <laughs> I don't think that's true. We can at least vouch for the writing. <laughs> so I'm very lucky, especially this year, that I am only teaching part time. 
I've been mm. awarded a grant from Creative Scotland, which is the arts funding oh. um, kind of council body in Scotland that supports uh, like big arts groups, but also individuals. So yeah. they uh, provide uh, grants to novelists like working on things and then also people in other areas of the arts. So I'm very, very lucky. That's allowed me to drop down a little bit more in my hours. So that's that's freed up a good bit more time for Amazing. me this year, particularly. So I think the answer is work part time <laughs> and <laughs> have a, a very, very supportive partner that does 50 percent, if not more, of the childcare and domestic duties. Well, as it should be, but yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Very pleased to hear it. Also, I would say not necessarily luck. I think you obviously got the grant because you're incredibly yeah. talented and they recognise that and want you to do more things. So that's very kind of you to say. Just stating <laughs> facts, you know, that's you know. how we do. And also, so you've written another two books essentially now on top of, well, almost two in a bit because you're, you're working on your third. third one. So, okay. Um, second one is written and going through editing um with between myself and my agent and the third one i'm I'm like literally just starting to to write the opening kind of chapters oh uh, wow yeah very exciting and are you staying in crime with these no uh so the second book that i've wrote written is sort of broadly like magical realism and the third one is Mm. historical fiction because i live to torture my agent and make it very (laughs) to sell any of my work (laughs) love that though (laughs) Obviously, you're just uh, no spoilers or anything. And I know I appreciate it's very early on in the journey. So with um, the, uh, I've forgotten the word you literally Magical just said. Magical realism. Magical realism. And it's, I think it's the word magic. My brain blocks that word. So what, is it qu- quite a fantasy kind of vibe then? Um, it's very much set in our own world, but with like just little elements of it that are um, fantastical within the world. And that's hence the realism part. Frankie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've always enjoyed. Like, I like I, I like the odd bit of sort of you know the secondary world fantasy where you're in a completely different world and there's elves mm. and goblins. Like, I don't read a ton of it, but I've like God Killer by Hannah Kainer I read this year and absolutely loved. But I have always really been drawn to like it, you know there's. And I think this is in home as well. The idea that there's like an ordinary world that most people see. And then there's some kind of like little subculture that only certain people have access to. And whether that's like a, a literal like subculture, like a cult, or whether it's something with an element of magic in it. Um, I just, I really like the idea of, of kind of hidden things in plain sight. Subculture. Yes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thanks. Didn't take you long this week, did it? Well, it's it's not my strongest. I apologise, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> You're very tired. It's so <laughs> busy times. <laughs> but let's talk more about home because yes. obviously we're excited about to hear about things because we're nosy. But with home, with the characters of Zoe is incredibly rich and interesting. And she goes on such a journey, not only just leaving the cult, but just, as you say, from an identity perspective as well. How was that a, a, a writing her character and fleshing her out for you? Was it? I bet it was quite a quite an emotional experience because I felt emotional reading it. Um, I did draw on like I mean Zoe is very much not me, and I'm very lucky I haven't had her experiences in life. Yes, but I did draw on some like aspects of of kind of you know awkwardness with social things when you're a kid and and that kind of stuff that kind of helps uh, build out some aspects of her character. Uh, yeah, it all it all just developed quite organically, I think. And just thinking about like how someone who'd been raised in such an odd way would develop as a person but given the influences on her so when she leaves the cult she's very lucky that she ends up in a place that is 
uh, home to her that is like a, a nice place with supportive people who are very kind and kind of take her as she is and, and help her kind of bring her out of her shell. I think it would have been very different if she'd been not so lucky and landed elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. Was um, was Zoe one of the characters you had right from the very beginning? Yes. Yeah. Um, but when I was a kid writing, like she was just a kid that was kind of escaping from this government facility. <laughs> uh, as an adult, I kind of, I think that was one of the things that really made the story start to work was when I stopped looking at just as an escape narrative and started looking at it as also the the kind of matching rescue narrative as an adult going back and all the, the kind of like psychological implications of that as well. Mm. Yeah. The problem is you've now really made me want to read the government facility <laughs> story as well. So if yeah, you could drafts. just write that as a side <laughs> thing, that would be great. As if my English teacher of 20 plus years ago still has some handwritten uh, papers somewhere, you never know. I'm not above trying. <laughs> As a child, you have a very keen imagination then to have that idea as the initial starting point. Like that is impressive, I think, for a child to be also questioning a government from an early age is, is also very <laughs> nice that. to see. Health is suspicion. Exactly. It's almost <laughs> as if you know that our governments can't be trusted. Um, but as you say, but, but inept, which is a comfort, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> but I wonder the kind of the parallels between a government run facility and a cult, because a lot of similarities in a lot of ways, right? I would think in terms of the the way people kind of treat us, some people, I'm saying, mm. but there are certain, certain factions, I would say, within government that have a cult-like following that yeah. could easily go that way. Yeah, Maybe not I, with the kind of child assassin part, but the <laughs> indoctrination. <laughs> I think any any kind of system where you have people in, we have a kind of hierarchical body with authority, especially if that authority is held up as unimpeachable and like not to be questioned, uh, always lends itself open to abuses. And I think you see that in a lot of different situations, whether that closed um, society is like, you know, a football club or a religion or a government or, you know, sometimes even a workplace. Like I think you have microcosms of these um these insular little places, although of course it's just hugely exaggerated within a cult. Um, mm. But yeah, as you say, that's like I, I think one of the reasons, like it's such an odd experience. Like not many people have been in cults, but I think a lot of people have been in a situation where there's uh, an authority and you don't understand why you're following directions, but you have to. And sometimes breaking free of that is is something that I don't know. We all we all do in a different way in terms of like figuring out what you think as opposed to what you're supposed to think and feel yeah yeah i mean as someone who went to catholic school get what you're saying (laughs) um um, another question that we like to ask everyone that comes on and i'm very interested to hear your answer on this one is if you had to be a character from one of your books who would you be and why yeah i don't know i think maybe hand of god (laughs) (laughs) the seat of unimpeachable authority (laughs) (laughs) uh i i don't know i think maybe meg she seems pretty chill she has her life together yeah or like yeah batama any of the characters that are just seem to have it together and be quite like calm and sorted in their life i aspire to that (laughs) i would quite also like to be together (laughs) yeah who among us i mean sure (laughs) (laughs) i also really admire people who just kind of like in a no-nonsense and brisk kind of fashion just sweep people under their wing and just kind of, I don't know, bring out the best in other people, I think. So I I, I like the characters who who do that, but do it in a kind of like, you know, unconscious kind of, well, this is just what you do kind of manner, um, not in a kind of mm. I shall save you kind of manner. 
Um, so yeah, yeah, I think either like Meg or, or Fatima. Fatima has really good bullet sense as well. She's like a minor character in the book, but she's I do like her. Yeah. Yeah. Good definitely. answer. I'm glad you didn't say Zoe. Fantastic. <laughs> but God, what a what a life. Yeah, You'd be a real masochist, I think, if you went for Zoe. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I'm I'm really curious as well with your research. I know obviously a lot of it probably went in the book, but what was the most kind of interesting fact that's kind of stuck with you that you learned through it, if any? Oh, I don't know if it's a fact so much as like one bit of information I remember from uh, reading, I think it was like a Guardian article years ago about like a really tiny cult. I mean, I think it had like 14 people in it or something. It was really, really small. But there was a girl who'd been brought up in, I think like a flat in London, had never left it until she was about 16 or something I read this years ago so I'm probably getting a lot of these details wrong and she had been raised to believe she was like the second coming you know she was like she was she was the savior she was very special she wasn't allowed to like as far as I remember she never did any cleaning she never you know looked after herself she had people kind of doing things for her and one day her and one of the the other women there who I think sort of worked as her kind of like little maid or helper kind of thing escaped and they left the flat And the first thing that happened was the kid was almost run over by a bus because she'd never been across the street before. Oh, my God. know that. Like, the cars wouldn't stop for you. And she just wandered out um, and was almost immediately flattened. So I think something that really stuck in my mind was that just, like, the most basic things, if you'd been brought up. So, and, like, this this wasn't a, you know, random, like, outpost somewhere in the middle of nowhere. This was, like, a flat in London. Presumably she'd, like, I think she'd watch TV or radio and like read things. Yeah. I don't think she'd been completely cut off, but like the most basic things because she didn't have physical experience of them. Just uh, she just did not know. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. That that's the thing, and then it, it it makes you wonder. I often think when like we're walking around places, you're like, how many awful? It's how my brain works. How many awful <laughs> things are happening behind these closed doors that we know nothing about? Like you say, it's like that kind of that subculture that exists among us that we're just completely unaware of is terrifying. Yeah, and you wouldn't think that that kind of thing was going on in like a like a, a like a modern city, just on a, like a regular residential street. Yeah, but I think I, I, that always really stayed with me because I thought a lot about how overwhelming it must have been just to step outside your front door. Yeah, sensory overload. Yeah, in London, especially quite yeah. loud there. <laughs> <laughs> My review of London quite loud. Quite busy. Quite loud. Busy. <laughs> quite loud. So, Galen, do you have much time to read? Dare I ask this, considering how much you do all the time? <laughs> um, I try to. Um, I don't think I, I read as much as I would like. Um, recently, mm. I've been in the lovely position this year of people have started to send me like proofs. So like I'm getting books before they come out and you get to read them and say like some very grandiose stuff about them, uh, which is <laughs> lots of fun. And um, that's lovely. But like it does it does make reading start to feel like work. Mm. and it already had like a tinge of that because like you like I've been trying to in recent years read lots of like contemporary and read quite widely and read lots of like debut authors and things like that um so recently what I've been getting back into is like rereading stuff or reading um stuff a bit longer ago um which has been really really nice and and feels more like just reading for pleasure instead of like reading with a with an eye on a sort of professional angle yeah is there a particular genre that you like to read in or are you quite open to all <laughs> open to all I think I think I try, I try widely. um there's some genres I don't read a lot just because I like I, I do like I'm not I'm not one of those people that thinks the things I don't read are, are bad like I, I'm like stuff is, mm. everything is awesome it's just for different people so there's some genres I don't particularly pick up because they maybe don't just do it for me but I 
Mm-hmm. I'd say sort of like your your general like contemporary fiction. I I just kind of um, like to read in. Yeah. And in that case, what is the last book that you've read and loved? Oh. I'm sure everything you read has been great, especially all the arts, <laughs> all the all the ones you've blurbed for top notch. Yes. Clearly. Yes. Boy generation, uh, new new writing talent, sure to sweep yes. the ball for me. <laughs> so, uh, in terms of my rereading, I recently uh, reread um, *Piranesi* by Susanna Clarke, which I love. It's just I've read. read that. No. Oh, it's so good, and it's um, I think because your previous one was like *Jonathan Strange* and *Mr. Norrell*, and it was like a real doorstopper. Yeah. Um, and *Piranesi* is very slight, but it's just for such a slight book, it has so much packed in it. The world building is amazing. The characterization is just brilliant. The first third of it makes absolutely no sense. Like, I think a lot of people <laughs> put it down because they're like, this book makes no sense. And you're like, it's supposed to make no sense. Just go with it. Okay. And if you just get past that first third, then it all starts to come together and it's wonderful. Amazing. Another one for the TBR. Thank you very much. <laughs> and it's, I guess it's with you, as you're saying, like you like to read quite widely. And it also sounds like you write quite widely. So it's more for you, not so much about staying within genre, but more about where the story is. Yeah, I don't think of genre when I'm writing. Um, I think that's I think genre is a useful tool in some cases. Um, if you are writing with your eye on a particular audience, it's very important to follow genre conventions because that's what your audience want and, and will, will be um, drawn to. Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's golo.com. My sleep is way better. My inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery and I saw the Golo commercial and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com. But I, I think for me, genre is something that comes later in the kind of like publishing process where you're thinking, okay, where does this book fit? Um, which is when yeah. people who are involved with that on a professional level with me just start to cry and pull their hair out. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it's really tricky because I, I was speaking to um, LV Matthews about this when she came on. But um, that balance of writing the story you want to write. And the commercial aspects that you have, you kind of need, sort of need to keep in mind if you want to be a published author, because at the end of the day, you know, publishing houses want to sell books. So it's, it's really tricky, but I guess, yeah. How do you balance that? I mean, especially now that you're into your third book, is it more of a consideration now, or are you still just focusing on the story and worry about that part later? I think it's more in my head now, um, kind of in the back of my mind. Yeah. I'm sort of aware of it as I'm writing, but I I don't know if, you know, it's hard to say. I suppose like on mm-hmm. a subconscious level, it might have like influenced some decisions, but I think on on the whole, it's like, as you say, it's just a story comes to mind yeah. and wherever that story fits in. I actually think all my books are quite similar um, in a lot of ways. They're all about, um, and this, this sounds very like 
I don't know, elementary school, but like they're all about adventures. They're all about people who just wake up and one day their life is completely different and the rug gets pulled out from them. And whether that's because they're involved in this kind of, you know, horrible thing from their past that's come back to haunt them or they've, you know, stumbled upon a world that's secret to everyone else or, you know, they're, you know, whatever the, the situation is, that's it. And then these stories just happen to fit into these different genres. I don't think we've ever asked anyone this before, but the fact that you've had Zoe in your head slash life for so long, Mm. was it quite hard to let go of her when you finished the book? It was, in a weird way. I didn't expect it to be, because like, I also did the, because it was my debut novel, I had like very little idea of what the publishing process involved, and it involved way less like being taken out for swanky lunches than I'd previously. (laughs) That's not cool. How dare they? Unbelievable. I know, way more just sitting in front of a computer and tapping on keys. But you like you go through like you know bazillions of um, editing rounds. So like by the time like it was like okay stamp on the book that's it it's finished. I was like oh my god that's amazing. I never want to read the first three chapters ever again. In my life. <laughs> yeah, I, I would be like I thought I would be really like okay on to the next thing. But yeah, I did I did sort of sort of miss her like especially towards the end when I was writing in a more concentrated kind of focused way. Because I knew it was, I, I like I'd gotten picked up by an agent, and I knew he was going to try and sell it. Like she started to like live in my head a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. because previously I'd been writing it just in like fits and starts with long gaps in between. Sometimes it was just it was just never like living in my head. But when I started to work on it more consistently, it was just you know kind of I don't know, just kind of like percolating away in the background. Mm-hmm. It's weird to come away from that. Yeah. What you need to do is start writing fan fiction now. <laughs> about your own books for your own novels <laughs> yeah that is so brilliant yeah i will try that <laughs> oh wow that is um yeah that's brilliant what a great idea <laughs> Probably of your own book. not at all kind of conceited or not that you are at all Kaylin, but clearly sarah that's how her mind works <laughs> so that's what i do you know yeah <laughs> okay try it your own biggest fan there's something to be said for that i think gives you the, the confidence you need oh wow someone's gotta like me frankie i like you i like you sarah you're fine thank you thank you this is the pep talk you're looking for today is it yeah more of this unbelievable now i'm gonna ask a question and if it's if you if it's too difficult, I, should, I want to add this into our rotation, Sarah. I haven't actually. I should have spoken to you about this before and given you advance warning, Kaylin. I'm very sorry. What's a line you've written lately that you're really proud of? Oh, that's a good question. Right, I, so I think that. that should be added in. So you're the first person to yeah. answer this, Kaylin. I I do have one in mind. Oh, but it comes towards the end of my second book, so oh, it would be a no spoilers. Bit of a spoiler, yeah. But I'm trying to think of one that I could. It's like the person that committed the murder is done. Like, oh man, <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's one that like comes earlier on. That I should I have given you warning. I'm very sorry throwing this at yeah, you. This is quite a question to put quite on cruel. someone with no notice. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'll add it to the list going forward. Apologies. That's a good, no, I love, I love that question. Um, there's a line that I'm, I'm really liking. Um, uh, really like so conceived. There's a line that I, I quite am proud of in um, Home, which mm. is when uh, the hand comes back to uh, Zoe's flat in the present day, and he—I don't think it's too much of a spoiler. It happens like the third chapter. Yeah. He finds a knife that she's been hiding under her bed, and he puts it. Uh, when she sees that he has it, he puts it down between them, 
And the line is something like, it's a test, a taunt and an insult all in one. That's really good. Yeah. Give myself a biscuit when I run. You deserve it. I have a whole pack of biscuits for that one, I think. And I also love when you referring to me as the hand, because I just think of Thing from Adam's family. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's not that, but you know. It was so hard thinking of names for like people and titles and the cult and stuff, because like every time I came up with like, and I was like, oh, that's such a good culty name and like lexicon, like someone had done it. So mm. it was really, really tricky. And then I thought like the children, the name of the cult on its own. I was like, there's similar ones. There's never been yeah. a cult called the children. And then nice. someone at an event a while ago was like, oh, is this based on the cult of the children? And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Maybe I they know. started it after you'd written it. Like, it's just a thing they're popping up all the time, maybe. <laughs> maybe I've inadvertently started a cult. <laughs> you inspired one. Well done. Yay. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be the first time an author's got like a weird cult-like extremist <laughs> following from their books. So you never know. Good Lord. At least you're a good person. That helps. Well, I give the appearance of being a good person. That's all a cult leader needs. That's all you need. (laughs) (laughs) That appearance. You're halfway there. Exactly. You should be my advisor. Okay. Do you know what? You know, I I think actually Sarah probably do a better job because I I talk about this quite a lot. Sarah once told me that she's really good at manipulating people. You make me sound so awful. I'm literally just (laughs) quoting you verbatim what you said to me. I am good at manipulating people, yeah. <laughs> is it manipulating people or is it helping people to um, come to good decisions? I mean, I'm her. a PA, so my whole job is manipulating people to get them to do what I want them to do. I feel like as a teacher, uh, that's a lot of my job as well. It's like, no, you do want to yeah. write an essay at half past nine on Tuesday morning about a poem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's nice manipulation. Yeah, it's for their own good. Yes. For yeah, their that's own how good. we justify the cult. <laughs> <laughs> That can be, that'll be the line they read out in court. <laughs> it's for their own good. No, Fantastic. This is being recorded. Well, this yeah. is the question at the end of this podcast. Well, I was about well. to say, actually, I think we're all approaching. I'm seeing it sounds like you're on the, the verge of a confession, Kaylin. Because, <laughs> uh, as you know, Kaylin, bless Kaylin, has listened to the podcast. Amazing. Yeah. Well, and, and well done for not only listening to it and then agreeing to actually come on. Yeah, like pursuing you to come on, I think. Pursue away. It's always <laughs> lovely. Uh, Kaylin Steed, I'm afraid I have some terrible news to deliver to you now. Oh, no. And you know what I'm talking about, Kaylin, because you have committed a terrible, heinous, absolutely atrocious crime. I have. You have. Your crime, Kaylin Steed, is so heinous, so terrible, so atrocious in nature that unfortunately. <laughs> You have been sentenced to death. Oh, no. Bit of a bummer, right? I don't right? believe it. Yeah, no. that, that, does, that puts a crimp in my weekend plans. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you did well, say you've alluded that, you know, you seem nice. You seem nice. We're all nice. shocked. <laughs> so this came out of nowhere for us, but clearly you know what you did, Kaylin. So <laughs> do you want to confess your crime? What have you done to warrant this? Well, up until this point, I, I thought my crime would be like the answer that I had planned was that my crime would be something completely inadvertent because like for someone who's a writer, I'm not super observant. So I think what I would have done is like let a really terrible criminal escape by like politely holding the door open for them or something, <laughs> like covered in blood, waving knives. And I'm like, oh, after you. That's what I was going to say. But I feel like it would be more interesting now to say that I inadvertently founded a cult and then went mad with power. Oh, I yes. love that. Love that. <laughs> 
it's for your own good. For your own good. Also, that's the cold when you said you're unobservant, I really thought that was going to be like you ran over a whole gaggle of people and just dragged them down the road or something. She ran over realizing. that girl that escaped that cold flat. <laughs> she oh, stepped yeah. into the road. Were you the bus driver? My bad. <laughs> that's this is great. Okay, no. So everybody read home. Then you instantly got a terrifying cult following, got drunk with power and went too far. I did. I did. I went I went mad with power and um, I made everyone write essays about poetry at 9.30 on Tuesday mornings, every, every Tuesday. And it drove people mad. I can totally see why you're being sentenced to death. That is the most <laughs> outrageous. Uh, offence I've ever heard <laughs> my goodness okay wow wow that's that's a great answer I have to say we've not had a cult leader before I don't think yeah. first no, one think so. that's nice to be uniquely awful love it <laughs> another one on the bingo card fantastic well the good news is even though you are a real monster as we've established with your poetry essays mm. uh, we will get for you the death row meal of your dreams Awesome. Hooray! <laughs> what would your death row meal be? Uh, so I've also been giving like quite some thought to this um, as well. Fantastic. And the answer I've come up with is like, it's one of my top three meals of all time. And it is a pizza that I got in a restaurant in Glasgow. And not to be too like horrifically Scottish, but the pizza was a um, haggis and iron brew pizza. What? Now that sounds <laughs> awful, but stay with me. It was genuinely one of the best things I've ever put in my mouth. It was it was very, very good. Wow. That's the most Scottish thing I've ever heard. I thought you were joking at first. I really did. No, <laughs> like... I'm, I'm quite serious. So it was like haggis on pizza, lots of cheese. And then the iron brew sauce was like a sort of chilli iron brew sauce, kind of reduced, quite like... Quite okay. Um, it was a taste explosion. And I would quite like to have it again because it's no longer in the menu of this particular pizza place for some reason. Oh. <laughs> you know what <laughs> thinking about it no i can see this working actually if there was like an iron brew reduction it's almost like a kind of with chili come on with yeah, chili delicious yeah. and with haggis which is like that meaty kind of earthy taste that combination yeah. but peppery it works yeah okay no wow Did, so they don't do it anymore they don't do it anymore not that i've, not that I've seen it. it's one of the great tragedies of my life that is, and now you may hours. be the only person that ever ordered it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, might be why they don't give it anymore. <laughs> that, that could be it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, I would, to be fair, join your cult if that was on the menu, maybe. In That's the all you're allowed to eat in my cult. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the other reasons that I'm in pretty, everyone died of scurvy while writing this. <laughs> Yeah. Is there nothing? Is there nothing vitamin C like in the iron brew? I don't know. It's orange, so I assume like a broccoli. Anything natural in it? <laughs> no, fair, fair enough. Is there a dessert or a drink to go with those as well? Oh, yeah. So dessert, I'm gonna say probably raspberry panna cotta. Big fan. Yes. Very light and refreshing after that heavy pizza. <laughs> you got <laughs> Yeah, love it. Yeah, yep, perfect. The fruit. One of your five a day, perfect, like healthy. Perfect. There you go. <laughs> Scurvy avoided. And drink. Um, oh, Does Iron Brew count on the pizza? <laughs> it counts a drink. No, I don't want it to count because I also want to order a drink for my last meal. Okay, of course. I would go for it. Like I'm a real, I'm a sucker for like a real like wanky IPA. So like, nice. You know, if you go into a pub and it's got like a IPA in there that's called something like Flattened Hedgehog or something, I'm like, yep, that is the drink for me. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like a good book cover when they've got like really jazzy artwork on the on the 
thing i'm kind of like what is that that sounds fun yeah nice That's entirely how i make my beverage choices i'm like yeah (laughs) a little like drawing perfect that's funny because i was really drawn to home for the cover the gorgeous cover something about the colors it's beautiful it is beautiful it was was designed by a guy called mike butcher um and it's yeah it's just gorgeous he did such a good job um they for the paperback they did send me like a color changed version so the colors were changed Mm. to sort of like blue and greeny kind of like sky instead and i asked to keep it the red one because i was like no i should really yeah yeah it's good he didn't butcher it (laughs) <laughs> okay i'll be quiet okay well that's a very good final meal i'm up for that so, says the vegetarian well exactly there you go. this is quite tasty so i'm here for it yeah. we'll start a campaign to get it back on the menu it's a campaign yeah. here. yeah death meal of choice come on guys it's for your own good <laughs> it's for your own good <laughs> yeah so you've had an amazing final meal very sad unfortunately it was your final meal you've been put to death sad but good news we are going to bury you with the book of your choice which book are you taking with you and why Ooh, so i actually have it here um which is (gasps) no useful for the people who are not you and not looking at this on the video screen it's um (laughs) this particular edition of the shadow of the wind by carlos rizapon never read this oh yeah me neither It's, it's so good it's um i think it would appeal to people who like crime because it's quite twisty the narrative there's lots of like secrets being uncovered and it's set in barcelona in like the 1940s so just kind of like shortly after the war and this is like i had a copy of it and lent it someone and they never gave it back to me for which they should also be sentenced to death and i was complaining to my mom who uh, I must have complained so much that she, I think for my birthday or my Christmas that year, gave me this edition that I'm holding, which is just beautiful. And it has all these like, oh, or just like black and white images of Barcelona. Oh, that's oh, gorgeous. Is that like a Folio Society one or something? Oh, it's gorgeous. That's a question. Orion books. Orion. Oh, go for oh. Orion. Yeah, very nice. So I think I would take this because I just, like, it's just such a like, it's written in translation, so the translator has also done an amazing job. Um, but it's it's mm. just beautiful and it's so rich and like it's quite dark, but a lot of the characters are like hilarious. Um, there's a guy called um, Fermin, who's this kind of like homeless kind of raving guy that the father in the book, who's a bookshop owner, like takes in, and he becomes like this very erudite kind of guy who like sells books to people. And uh, yeah, I just really really love it. <gasps> oh, wow. I love that and beautiful edition. Such a sucker for a hardback. Oh, yeah no no great recommendation it, very good recommendation and slightly off topic but where do you stand on a uh, folding corners bookmarks oh to the great distress of my mom who's a librarian um i am all about like folding over corners and like writing yes. highlighting and yeah all sorts yes. of horrible things to face <laughs> do you know what i'm glad you're dead now kaylin um, because <laughs> <laughs> you're a true monster and well, uh yeah my yes well, the rap sheet's <laughs> endless at this rate unbelievable <laughs> Not really. Obviously, Kaylin, it's been a delight to meet you and talk to you. And thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you? Not at your home, her book pun <laughs> joke, but where can they follow you online? <laughs> um, so on Twitter, which I'm refusing to call Bet's new name, I am at Kaylin Steed. And on Instagram, I'm at Kaylin Steed author. I'm also that on TikTok, but I also am afraid of TikTok and never use it. So don't try and find me there. I, I don't do anything. 
<laughs> oh, well, that's that's quite the advert you've put out there. I will, I will say, if you find me on Instagram, I do have lots of pictures of my uh, puppy that we got recently. So just to entice in the because I, I saw i did notice that the change in aspiring dog owner to <laughs> dog owner across yes. your various things tell us more about your puppy please really quickly because i was uh, we adopted it like literally just got her like about a week and a bit ago <gasps> and she's adopted from an international charity called underdog and she's from Cyprus, so I think the Scottish weather is a bit of a shock to her. <laughs> so we've mostly got the fire on for her at the moment. She likes the fire. And she's, oh, probably a mongrel. Um, so we don't really know what she is exactly, but she's small and black with a little, like, white bib. We think she's maybe a sighthound. Um, she's very, very sweet and cute and about seven months old, and we love her very much. Her name is Tato. Tato! Tato! Oh. My other half is Irish. Excellent so, name. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> nice. I think it wouldn't it be Tatties if it was Scottish. Yeah, yeah. Tatties is her Scottish cousin who's as yet unadopted. <laughs> I love that. Also, did you know you can do DNA tests on your dog? I did not know this. Yeah, we did it on our, we had a rescue dog, me and my housemate, um, and we did it on him and we're really surprised because he was quite small um, oh. and he came back. There was a large portion of lab in him. Oh. It was fascinating. I really recommend it. Oh, well, that is, I will put that on my to-do list for a rainy day. There you go. Do you have to swab their mouth? I can't remember how we did it now. I would guess so. I can't imagine we took a blood sample. (laughs) We'd have taken our hands off. The great fear with that is that uh, their crimes are going to come to light, the dog. Mm. That, you know, they're on the the, the DNA register. They're on a database somewhere now. That's it. One of their family members may have committed a crime and then they're going to find them because of that DNA test, like the Golden State Killer. Yeah. Yeah. Let's think about <laughs> This is a whole plot, right? If you ever write your own crime book, this is a whole plot, like the dog, the dog database. <laughs> <laughs> you get on that frankie well, I, I mean i've had like i've had less weird ideas before to be fair so i'll give it a go <laughs> <laughs> true um, and frankie where can people follow us on social media oh sarah they can follow us pretty much everywhere these days we're on the blue sky and the threads and we're not on tiktok that being said uh i suppose oh, cool. it is a bit it is a bit scary for book yeah. stuff i have one but the podcast doesn't yeah. Uh, but anyway, they can follow us at Red and Berry Podcast most places, or they can email us at Red and Berry Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Well done. Not that you, not that this is interesting. Oh, Sarah knows this. I, I've just started on my, my TikTok. Um, I bought a barcode scanner so I can catalogue all my books. Oh, that's amazing. It's <laughs> always there. I just have it in front of me because I like to hold it. It's quite satisfying and it like beeps and everything. Boop, boop, boop. That is so exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Uh, it was Amazon, £12. And uh, it's free to set up a Libib account and you can catalogue all your books. Do it, do it, do it. Very exciting. My birthday's coming up. So, do you know, I might ask for a scan. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Join the. So now we're starting a cult together. <laughs> the cult <laughs> of Libib. <laughs> you have to like beep, beep. That's your like your way of like signaling to the leader. Beep, beep. Yes. And then we can have barcodes on our foreheads that we scan. And like, oh God, this actually, this writes itself. This is perfect. It does. That's my fourth novel. Sorry, the barcode perfect as long as we get <laughs> like a, a thank you in the uh acknowledgements we'll take that you get 10 percent. yes come on tell her that <laughs> she doesn't need any more money she'll spend it on books she's got no more space all well, right mom you more space, don't you what are you telling me off for thanks for thank you again kaylin it's been so wonderful thank honestly you. No, thank you for having me i've been so i've been so excited about this it was wonderful to talk to you both Oh, thank oh, you. It's an absolute pleasure. Truly. And thank you for home. We both really enjoyed it. Loved uh, it. Everyone should go out and buy it. It's out now. Thank you.
You really, actually, you know, I've met multiple authors that have said, oh, yeah, I loved, I loved Home. I've read Home. It's fantastic. So hey. truly, yeah. Aww. Thank you. Well, that does my little egotistical heart look good. Because <laughs> so I was at Harrogate and I popped along to the Bloomsbury Raven tent that they had and your mm. book was there. And I was like, I'm speaking to them soon. And they were like, oh, that's great. So yeah, yeah. pictures of it. I really wanted to go to Harrogate, but I couldn't make it. I'm determined to go to one year. It looks so much come fun. Next year. Come next year. Come next year. It'd be so fun. Ooh, I will. If I, if I, can, if I can feel myself away, I absolutely will. Amazing. It's super fun. And we'll try and drag Sarah along too, though she's um, refusing to leave the house. Anyway, <laughs> thank you for listening, everyone. We'll be back soon with another episode. Um, until then, uh, look look after yourselves and keep a knife under your uh, pillow. <laughs> or don't. Yes, always good advice. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye. 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 Hello, and this is Frame to Frame, part of the We Made This Podcast Network. We are a podcast that take two seemingly unconnected films and slam them together with the most obscure theme that we can find. I'm Andy Williams. And I'm Sean Wilson. And every Wednesday, you'll be able to find out a little bit more about the different themes and different films that we look into with insights such as this. You're literally crying with laughter as you're recording because it, 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 it just snowballs <laughs> yeah. on and on and on. And it kind of reaches this kind of idiotic nirvana. And in like, what is he doing? This is the guy that made The Sixth Sense. The fact that it ends where they, oh my gosh, we're in two separate places, but we need to get outside to see to each other to be together and then they look at each other and then nothing, nothing happens, happens. <laughs> so so it's the unhappening uh and, it, and it's like and the it, big it, twist it, the big m no shaman twist at the end of the film is that nothing nothing happens. nothing happens you know the very bothersome thing on rotten tomatoes that you cited about the idea that there is somehow a difference between the way critics see movies and audiences see movies well yes but critics watch films as an audience so critics are an audience. That's a complete fatuous thing. The reason critics get into criticism is because they love it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's all that it, that it is. The reason we do this podcast is because we love film. Yeah. There is no such thing as a wrong reason to laugh at Moonfall. Legitimately, I had so much fun. And I remember telling you at the time, on our Roundup of the Year podcast, we will be doing Moonfall. And you yeah, said, and you remember oh, my no, face. We won't. Yeah, I mean, how crestfallen I was. <laughs> and I said, oh, yes, we will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, never mind Moonfall. Crestfallen is what I would call it. Be sure to check your podcast app of choice every Wednesday to find new episodes. You'll be able to like, subscribe, and find us on social media at Frame to Frame Pod.